Why are there so many different flux cord wires? Robert Fox of Hobart Filler Metals answers this question and more in this discussion of the characteristics, properties, classification, and economics of gas-shielded and self-shielded flux cord wires. Hello and welcome to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining us today. We've got Rob Fox, welding engineer with Hobart Brothers Filler Metals. Rob, thanks for being with us again. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. Okay, I need some help from the wizard. I need you to pull back the curtain and, and teach me something here. Why in the world are there so many different types of flux cord wires? Yeah, and that's definitely not an easy question to, to answer. Uh, that's something we could be talking about for multiple episodes, but uh, we'll try to keep it brief and hit some of the high points. Sound good? Sounds good, yeah. All right, so... Obviously, you know, you mentioned flux cord wires, uh, but you didn't mention what type. So there's two kinds of flux cord wires out there. You've got gas-shielded flux cord wires, and you've got self-shielded flux cord wires. So as the name implies, a self-shielded flux cord wire is going to be able to provide shielding on its own, like a stick electrode, whereas a gas-shielded flux cord wire is going to need an externally supplied shielding gas and typically an argon CO2 mix or just straight CO2. So that's kind of the, the biggest distinction to start out with. Uh, but even within those two categories, there's a bunch of different differences between wires. And I typically look at the AWS classification to start. Um, and in that AWS classification, it's going to tell you all about the wire and kind of the differences between them. Okay. So with the, the self-shielded flux core wires, where would you typically see those being used? So self-shielded flux cord wires are typically used on uh, large diameter distribution transmission piping. Um, typically going to be used in the field. Uh, not really going to see the self-shielded flux cord wires being used in a shop environment because you know, in a shop environment where we're protected from the elements, we can go ahead and use a gas-shielded flux cord wire. They're going to weld a lot smoother. But those self-shielded wires, you know, when we're out in the field and we have, you know, wind speeds that are, you know, more than five miles an hour, you know, we can we can get that well done in a short amount of time without having to set up all kinds of, you know, wind screens or, or things like that. So gas-shielded flux cores, there's still a million different filler metals out there, different types, different gas mixes. Can you kind of give me a rule of thumb why I would use a 100% CO2 versus a 75-25 um, gas mix and a wire combination? Sure. Or is there no such thing as a rule of thumb on on self-shielded and gas-shielded flex cores? Uh, there's definitely a couple hard, fast rules. So, you know, I mentioned the AWS classification, taking a look at that and seeing the difference between wires. When you look at the AWS classification on a label for, for anybody's wire, uh, take a look at ours. You, you see that it might say something silly like a E71 T-9 uh, C slash M H8. So there's a lot of information there. Take a look at that C slash M. So in this particular classification, that wire can be used with either 100% CO2 or 7525 argon CO2. But there's some wires out there that'll have just either a C or an M designator, meaning that they can only be used with either 100% CO2 or 100%, or, sorry, 75% argon, 25% CO2. So you get an either or. 
So the hard fast rule is always check the class and use the wire, uh, use the shielding gas that's intended for the wire. But if you have a wire that can be used with either or, you're going to find some differences between those two shielding gases. 7525 is going to give you a little bit less visible smoke. Uh, it's going to tend to give you a smoother arc. So you're going to have a little bit more of a spray transfer. Um, still technically globular, but you know that's all. That's all just uh, you know, digging in the weeds. Um, you're also going to notice differences in mechanical properties. So 7525 shielding gas will tend to give you a little bit higher tensile strength than 100% CO2. And you're going to notice um, differences in the penetration profile. So 7525 is going to give you a little bit less dig into the base metal than 100% CO2. And that can be critical in certain applications. CO2 is a little bit better suited for narrower joints. Um, it's also uh, sometimes a welder preference. Um, I like welding with CO2 wires because I like the drive out of the arc. And I also like that with CO2, I have a little bit of a stiffer puddle. Um, helps me carry a little bit more amperage welding out of position. Okay. Uh, are there any more kind of tricks of the trade or rules of thumb around gas shielded flux core wires? Uh, sure. You know, as far as a tip and trick is, you know, take a look at, at different wires. Anytime that you're going to select a wire for an application, do a little bit of shopping around because you'll find that, you know, even for wires of the same classification, they might weld significantly different. And that's the reason why, you know, Hobart offers, you know, two, three, four flux core wires with the same classification. It's, it's, it's to give welders the, you know, the kind of arc that they're looking for, to give them the puddle characteristics that they're looking for, or the mechanical properties that they're looking for. So always kind of shop around, take a look at the data sheet. And then, uh, you know, if you have any questions, just call the manufacturer. Definitely there to kind of explain some of these subtle differences between the wire. I. I always think of the the different wires kind of like having different chisels. It does the same the same job, but in a slightly different way or a slightly different purpose. Um, but it's doing the same job at the end of the day. Yeah, that's an excellent way of looking at it. With cord wires, I wanna I wanna throw a little bit of a curveball at you. Let's talk about not just with cord wires, but filler metal in general, drive rolls and drive roll tension. There's always the right way to do it and that's my way right or your way but what is truly the right way and the right drive rolls to select for your cord wires your solid wires and such sure so solid wires are they're pretty forgiving with what you do um typically most people will use a a uh of what we call just a, a v groove drive roll so if you take a look at the cross section of that drive roll, it's like a perfect V that's kind of notched into that drive roll. And, uh, you know, that holds the wire at a couple different points. Um, with the solid wires, we don't have to worry about getting that wire out around. It takes a lot of feed force to uh, try to get that wire out around. So whereas with the cord wires, if we set our drive roll tension too high, um, we're going to have a deformed wire that's just not going to want to feed through our liner or through our contact tip properly. So what we suggest using is a V-knurled drive roll. Um, the knurls kind of just help grab the wire without using excess tension, kind of like the uh, treads on a tire. Okay. And then when you get into aluminum, that's a whole different ballpark. You typically look at using a, a U-groove drive roll that will uh, basically support that wire with as little uh, contact with the wire as possible. 
Quality welding equipment pairs best with quality filler metals. Miller recommends Hobart Filler Metals. Hobart is a leader and innovator in the welding industry and has been for over 100 years. Hobart's Ohio and Michigan-based factories manufacture the wires, rods, and cut lengths you need to tackle aluminum, carbon steel, high-strength low-alloy steel, and stainless steel. Whether you are in the shop or in the field, Hobart has an easy-to-use solution that can provide measurable productivity improvements. When you partner with Hobart, you can rely on our knowledgeable team of applications engineers to help you select the best filler metals and optimize their performance for any welding job. To learn more about how Hobart filler metals can benefit your welding applications, visit us online at hobartbrothers.com. So, Rob, as we were we were talking about systems. I had a couple other questions for you. Um, you know, oftentimes if there's porosity in a weld or there's a problem, it's it's either the filler metal's fault or it's the machine's fault or it's whatever's whatever's fault. Um, so, talk to me a little bit about troubleshooting or diagnosing or understanding, you know, what the problem might be or what the causes of the problem might be. Yeah. So, you know, the, the welding machine, the filler metal, the torch, the shielding gas, all that stuff comprises the complete welding system. And I like to think about it as like a, as, as like a chain, you know, if you're missing any one of those links, you're not going to have a good connection. So it's important that when you do troubleshooting, that you take a look at the whole system and it's a little difficult, but you look at that whole system almost all at once. So, you know, say that you had some porosity problems like you threw out there. It could be, you know, a lot of different things. Maybe there's some malfunctioning equipment. You know, maybe there's um, some, I'm trying to think of how to, you know, you know, maybe you have some malfunctioning equipment. But at the same time, maybe there's environmental factors. Maybe the wind speed was higher one day. Um, you can also look at compounding factors. So if the flow rate wasn't set exactly where it needed to be and the nozzle was a little bit dirtier than it usually is, those two factors can compound and make a problem show up that might not have been there if either one of those things kind of existed on its own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it just goes back into that, you know, troubleshooting and, and welding as a system that, yeah, filler metals a component. Uh, power sources component, environment is a component, and taken as as an individual component, it might be perfect. But when you put it all together, the conditions might not be quite right to accomplish the job you're looking to do. Exactly. So you know, I, I usually start, you know, as far back on the system as I can, and then move my way up to the front. But that's not a hard fast rule. So you know, I usually take a look at the shielding gas because usually we put the tanks at the back of the wall or on the back of the machine. And I kind of move my way up to the gun. But as I move up, I don't forget about what I've already taken a look at. So one thing that I'm I'm learning as I talk to more people about welding and and through experiences that I've had is that you can't just look at welding as individual parts the filler metal, the power source, the connections, the material that you're welding on. You really have to look at it as an entire system. Where am I doing the work? How am I doing the work? What What is my feed mechanism or my delivery method for my filler metal? 
um, what is the capability of my power source to really be able to to become a master of the craft of of welding, right? I would agree completely. Uh, and and I think sometimes in our world we get so set on well, a machine's a machine, and a filler metal is a filler metal, and a and a, a gun or a stick electrode holder is a stick electrode holder, and and that's true to a point. But we still have to look at the circumstances and what we're where we're using that filler metal, um, or we're using the process that we're doing um, to be to be the master of our, masters of our craft. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there. No, I I, I think it's an excellent you know thing to throw out there is that you know a welding system has a bunch of cogs in a machine but without any one of those or a non-functioning cog that machine's just not going to work so you know if you're not using the best filler metal you're not going to get the best weld if you're not using the best gun you're not going to get as good a feeding so you're not going to get the best weld so everything contributes um so taking a look at the entire process is incredibly important especially when you're you're troubleshooting right. from something even as simple as is your work clamp connection right you, you often see work clamps with frayed ends and they're hanging on by you know half a dozen wires and and that that has major effects on your welding exactly yeah so you know not having a, a good grounding connection can lead to excessive volt drop so you know it, it uh Different, different power sources will handle that volt drop differently. If you're using a, kind of a simple power source that doesn't have a volt sensing lead and you have a poor ground clamp, that volts, those volts are going to drop with a poor ground connection. So it's going to seem like, like you're getting a stiffer arc, you're getting more spatter. But realistically, you just need to compensate for you know, the voltage that's being lost with a poor ground clamp. Well, Rob, thanks for helping demystify the world of flux cord wires and talking a little bit about drive rolls. Um, I know drive roll intention is something that a lot of people have opinions on and there's several different answers and several good ways. And so thank you for that. Thanks for listening today, everybody. And I hope you have a good day.